Tango is the perfect weapon, Charlie. A loose cannon. If he helps us find Victor Rasta, great. If he screws up, breaks rules along the way, he's a Russian. Mm, but what about Ridzik? Ridzik is a good cop and a total expert at fucking up. Departmentally speaking, I got no downside here. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Red Heat. This whole thing's very Russian. Hosted by Brock. I do not want to touch his ass. I want to make him talk. Stuart. I saw Dr. Shivago. And Arnie. You want to know what my crime is? My crime was being born. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Don't get nervous. Give me I do this for a living. We hope you enjoy the show. You come with me? Yes? Today we're talking about Red Heat, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Belushi, Peter Boyle, Ed O'Ross, Gina Gershon, and directed by Walter Hill. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is the Now Playing co-host whose nickname used to be Iron Jaw, but now it's Dickhead, Arnie. So why are we covering so much Jim Belushi? I just want to know, <laughs> Underdog, Red Heat... It's like it's Belushi time on Now Playing. Well, K-9's coming up next week, I think, right? Is that true? <laughs> mm, I'm going to take a pass on Mr. <laughs> Destiny. What about taking care of business? <laughs> we are taking care of business. We're taking care of Arnold Schwarzenegger's career, which we're skipping over the good stuff. In between Raw Deal and this movie, he actually had hits. He had had Predator and he had had The Running Man. He was on an upward swing, and this was his first attempt working with Carol Cole Pictures, the movie house that was built by Rambo, quite frankly. And this is interesting because of all the people you could have paired Arnold Schwarzenegger with, Jim Belushi, Eddie Murphy, sky's the limit, the one you weren't going to pair him with was Stallone. During press for this movie, Arnold really opened the floodgates for that, told Playboy magazine that he threw Brigitte Nielsen to Stallone to ruin his career because he knew she was a gold digger and that he was a narcissistic weirdo. He said all of this off the record, but of course it got out, it got in print, and those two were fighting. And it went on for many years. It made for many an uncomfortable Planet Hollywood opening. I... Love that Arnold Schwarzenegger treated his relationship with Sylvester Stallone the same way he treated his relationship with Lou Ferrigno in Pumping Iron. Mm-hmm. Some would say it's a mind game. He did it on purpose. But others have said that Schwarzenegger knew that Stallone, at this point anyway, it's worth remembering. I think Americans always forget this. But Stallone had the much bigger career than Schwarzenegger. Like, Schwarzenegger was the wannabe. And so if you're pissing on the, the real thing, it could have ruined him, particularly at Caraco. And it didn't help that this movie came out in the shadow of Rambo 3 and underperformed. It was not really a box office hit. I wouldn't quite call it a flop, but $35 million is nothing to brag about. I remember this one being on cable a lot, and I remember that it was one of those movies that my parents would prefer I didn't see while I was flipping channels, because even though it was a straight-up action movie, at this time I had already seen things like the aforementioned on this series, Running Scared and other things like that, buddy cop stuff, 48 Hours and all that kind of stuff. This one seemed like a little more R-rated than other stuff that I would normally just flip channels through on cable, but I hadn't seen this movie in the full until I started going back and watching Schwarzenegger movies a few years ago, about 2014. And I was very surprised that this one was not a bigger hit. I looked into it as well. You would think it has the combination. It certainly is in the genre of 80s buddy cop or mismatched partners, which is, goodness gracious, what Walter Hill built a career on if doing 48 Hours. Yeah, and this is a comeback for him as well. Yes, in between 48 Hours, big success that that was, he had made a lot of bombs, including Streets of Fire, his rock and roll musical, Real Stinker, Brewster's Millions with Richard Pryor. Love that movie. A uh, Ralph Macchio did some kind of bluegrass movie called Crossroads. Crossroads, yeah. And Nick Nolte had an action film called Extreme Prejudice. All of them underperformed or flat out tanked. Well, when I was looking back at this film, I realized this is probably the second Arnold Schwarzenegger film I'd ever seen. I saw Predator in theaters, didn't know who Arnold was, but the trailer looked good for Predator. 
And then I didn't get in to see Running Man. I wanted to see that in theaters. The trailers looked good. And I remember I didn't end up renting Running Man for several years, but I did rent Red Heat. And at the time, I remember thinking Arnold was a Russian. I mean, in the tradition of Drago from Rocky IV, he's built, he's jacked, he's got the square jaw, he played a Russian here. I was completely convinced that this was a Russian actor going up with Jim Belushi, who I didn't know from Adam. But probably knew his brother. Nope, didn't know him either. Mm. Oh, Wow. So Jim Belushi is one of those guys, and I don't want to knock on the guy. He's, he's worked forever. He's done plenty of stuff. But every time I see him, especially in something like this, I still, and this is terrible to say, I still feel like this is kind of, he's filling in for his brother. Even though he's perfectly capable of doing this kind of role, I always feel like they couldn't get so-and-so, so they got Jim Belushi. Whether or not it's his own brother or, or another actor who they would prefer to have. Of all the actors in the world at this time... How did Jim Belushi get paired with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Who turned this down is my question. I agree. It's always interesting. What's interesting about the buddy cop formula is not the formula. We all know how this movie is going to be. It doesn't stray a whit from what we expect a Russian cop and a Chicago cop to do on screen. But what is going to be the interplay? Who are the actors that are going to come to play? I did play that game watching this movie of what if I photoshopped out Jim Belushi and put in Nick Nolte or Eddie Murphy, would it feel more like 48 hours? That's the thing is, you bring in Arnold, he is the Nick Nolte of this movie. What you need is the comic relief. You need the Eddie Murphy. And per the making of featurettes that came on my Blu-ray, and gorgeous picture on the Blu-ray, by the way, they really treated this film nicer than its box office would usually indicate, but... Walter Hill and Arnold Schwarzenegger had wanted to work together for quite a while, and Carol Co. let Walter Hill do pretty much what he wanted, and Walter Hill said, I want Belushi, and Carol Co. goes, okay, you want Belushi, you got Belushi. But he would have been, at this point, what, about last night, the funny best friend? Which he was great in. Yeah, and he was off Saturday Night Live, and he was a cast member himself there at this time, and he had just come off, right? Oh, I didn't know that. It was around that time, though, where they brought in, like, Anthony Michael Hall and that type. Yeah, so the thought was, yet again, we're pairing an SNL up-and-comer, because Eddie Murphy hadn't been there very long when he did 48 Hours. We're going to take someone just as they're striking, and it'll be something to put him up against this comically cartoonish-looking Arnold Schwarzenegger. That could be a good Laurel and Hardy act. Don't forget also Jim Belushi personifies Chicago. He's very much like a Chicago guy. So if this is based in Chicago, which it is, it makes sense to have him in this role for that reason alone. But again, it just seemed like a really weird pairing based on what the plot of this movie is. They got this in in 1988. The Cold War was coming to an end. It would end the following year. If they didn't get this movie out in 1988... This movie probably wouldn't have been made then. They could have done it as a retro thing now, but it seems to me that it's a little bit dated in the aspects of Russia and American glasnost. We're friendly now, but we're still enemies kind of feel. Yeah, and you can feel the thaw already coming off the Cold War because they're really here shooting in Red Square. Like, this movie for a little bit, shoots on location, and that wouldn't have even been permissible half a decade before. Like, it really is something. It wasn't permissible now either. The Russians refused them repeatedly, and so they just went as tourists to the country and filmed. Really? Yeah. With a professional, I mean, this is professional photography. Like, you're telling me they didn't notice? It was a crew of three people. It was Arnold, the cinematographer, and the director. Wow. Okay, good illusion then. Whatever the pickups were in Toronto, very convincing Red Square. Hungary was most of Russia. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's find out what happens in Red Heat. Arnie, turn it up and we'll get through the movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Russian police captain Ivan Denko. He's on the trail of drug dealer Victor Rosta, played by Edo Ross. When Denko tries to arrest Rosta in Russia, Rosta escapes and kills Denko's partner. When Rasta is arrested in Chicago for a traffic violation, Denko is sent to bring back the drug kingpin. Chicago police detective and department screw-up Art Ridzik, played by James Belushi, is assigned to assist Denko. When Rasta escapes, killing Ridzik's partner in the process, Ridzik and Denko team up to capture him. The two cops clash because this is a buddy cop movie, and especially since Denko doesn't follow American police procedure. But still, 
the two cops are bonded over each wanting revenge for having lost a partner to Rasta. And Ridzik's knowledge of the Chicago underworld, combined with Denko's no-nonsense violent investigative methods, lead the duo to find a key to a locker where Rasta has stashed his drugs and money. Rasta's men attack Danko, and Rasta gets the key back. Ridzik discovers the key goes to a locker at a bus terminal, which leads to the climax at the bus station. Rasta steals a bus and is chased by Danko and Ridzik in another bus. Rasta's bus hits a train, and Danko kills the drug lord. The mission complete, Danko returns to Russia, but he and Ridzik realize they have bonded, and that Russians and Americans can get along. As a sign of friendship, they swap wristwatches as credits roll. And you know, if it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie at this time, you need to introduce him in a dramatic way that shows off that physique, right? We've already had him lifting up trees one-handed. Terminator, he's like crouched nude, standing up, walking to the observatory. (laughs) Predator, he's got to do that bicep flex with Carl Weathers, shaking hands. Here, they give him a amazing weight room sauna entrance in a towel. I am a little bit worried because my wife seems to know a little bit too much about Russian bathhouses, and I don't know why. Oh. But while I'm wondering why there are all these naked hotties swimming around a pool while men lift weights and things, she's like, yeah, this is a Russian bathhouse. We have two of them in the city near us. (laughs) It's like, oh. Okay, this is actually a thing where you go and you can steam naked and you can swim and you can lift weights. It is a very Russian concept, I guess. I think it's been Hollywoodized a little bit here. I mean, I've been to some, like, they're not exactly like this, but it certainly makes for a dramatic opening in which we get to see our hero palm a hot rock and punch a guy out in the snow and flex and and again just show that if you hadn't seen an Arnold movie before this guy is the star you know it's been Hollywoodized because everyone there is built jacked and gorgeous I mean come on the women were pretty the men were jacked up it's amazing I don't think that's real I'm glad to hear it might be because that makes me feel oh I miss out of the whole world part of this culture I should check this out (laughs) (laughs) they got plenty in Chicago you can go but the fight they have with the hot rock and through the window what really got me about this scene was When they were punching each other completely naked in the snow, the punches, the foley on that was crazy. Is it because their bodies are so rock hard that it feels like they're punching each other like Superman punching Superman? Is that the idea? Iron jaw, Brock. I noticed that too. I noticed just how overwrought all these punches sound. Totally. And I just credited this is a Carolco picture. (laughs) They only have so much in the bank. I get you. Sure. This guy is meant to be thought of as being, yes, not made of flesh, but stone. And funny thing, the guy that he's fighting, Sven Ole Thornton, is a fellow bodybuilder that has been in lots of Arnold movies. I think he had a cameo in Commando as one of the goons, and he just pops up again and again. They're friends. But Sven said that his one memory of this movie was afterwards he came into the trailer and Arnold was reading the box office grosses and crying. It was the only time he had ever seen tears come from Schwarzenegger, but he was sad to have this be such a failure. Wait, he was working on this film and Schwarzenegger was reading the box office of this film? I imagine it was the next film. Okay. I was confused there. I I could see him crying over Raw Deal's box office for certain. (laughs) No, yeah. I I think this one particularly because he was working in Stallone's house and it was so important to do better, to be number one, to beat him. And this movie didn't. But we do have gorgeous shots of the Kremlin after this fight really setting up. And is it cultural appropriation, the Russian-like font they use for the opening credits where they turn all the R's backwards? I loved it. I thought it was looks really cool. Hey, come on. It's the 80s. We ought to be grateful that the portrayal of the Russians is as human as it is. I was actually surprised that most of the cops here are not seen as buffoonish and awful. For the most part... Again, I think it's part of that glass-nosed warming up of cultures. We're going to see this as just another culture that's different from Chicago, but valid. And they have their own ways of doing things that we as Americans like to see in our movies. Arnold has got the name of where his bad guy is. Now he's going to walk into a bar and beat on an amputee until his wooden leg pops out cocaine. So I heard a really interesting story about this doing a tiny bit of research, and Arnie might have heard this on his commentaries, that Walter 
Walter Hill read this scene about the guy having a wooden leg with cocaine in it and liked it so much. It was in a different script by a different writer. He paid that writer just to have this scene. And it was the only scene that he had for this movie besides the concept of a Russian cop and an American cop. He brought that idea with this scene to Schwarzenegger to get Schwarzenegger to sign on to the movie. And this Mm. is the only part of the script that was written you know, quote-unquote, before they started shooting. Apparently, this movie was being written as they went. And I have to say, knowing that after the fact makes a lot of sense because this is a very clean 80s kind of scene, especially the way Walter Hill set it up with the guys at the table. And the entire sequence was one of the cleanest ones in the movie for setup, getting where you had to go, and payoff. I'll just be blunt. The best parts of this movie are the ones before we see Jim Belushi. (laughs) And this is a really good action scene. I like that they're speaking Russian and that it's subtitled and that it helps give that feel that you're there. Whoever did the set design made this bar feel foreign enough that it feels at least Eastern European, if not Russian. I go with it. And yeah, the ripping off of the guy's leg is a shocker. I'm like, did he just break that guy's knee? No, the guy had a false leg, which is a great place to keep your cocaine, although I would personally keep it in a baggie. (laughs) Yes, it wouldn't be loose powder in the bottom. I like all my cocaine to smell like the bottom of an amputee's knee. (laughs) I do like how the scene also twists a little bit, like it looks like Arnold's coming in and has no cause, and then he proves the cause, and then all hell breaks loose. I credit that with Walter Hill. You know, he loves spaghetti westerns. He even made a few himself, and yeah, he knows how to shoot action, and this is, yeah, I agree, one of the best moments in the movie. You kind of wish Jim Belushi came over here rather than us go to Chicago. Cocaine, though, like if you wanted to deal with this, we needed to be in Florida, right? Like cocaine trafficking in from South America. I don't ever remember it being a thing going out to Siberia. You know, this just doesn't make any damn sense. I don't think that he was a normal American supplier. I think he was working in Georgia and Russia with his drugs and went to America after getting caught by Danko here. But... I can see the way this movie is going because I've seen 48 Hours. This is going to very much follow the 48 Hours pattern. If you remember the beginning of 48 Hours, Nick Nolte and two cop friends are going and trying to get the bad guy there and the other cops die and Nick Nolte wants revenge. When I see this scene under a bridge with Arnold Schwarzenegger and his partner and the partner's like, you go in first, I'll go around the back. I'm like, that partner is dead meat just like 48 Hours. Yeah, this is formula formula. I don't think that there's going to be many surprises that happen in the movie. The only surprise was Gina Gershon dying because I really just thought she'd make it to the end. But for the most part, I'm not here to see innovation. I'm here to see the actors come and play. And I'll just go ahead and say it. This is Arnold at his best since Terminator. Like casting him as a Russian making it so that his foreignness and not being able to speak English is the reason why he can't express himself, really helps him and sells him as this kind of mythical action hero. I agree with that because a lot of scenes in this movie, and I have a, I'll note as we go, it felt like a Terminator movie. There are a couple of scenes that came right out of Terminator 2, in my opinion, coming up with Jim Belushi, where it's like he's talking to John Connor. But a couple of other things in the scene here, the punches I mentioned earlier in the bathhouse, the gunshots made the same sound. (laughs) I'm not sure if you noticed that. Really strange. I thought the gunshots sounded like they were coming from a cannon. You know, I just feel like every sound effect involving Arnold is so overwrought. And it started here, another trope that's going to go out throughout the movie. The bad guy shoots first, Arnold shoots second, but apparently the bad guy's bullets either stayed in their gun or just completely missed and didn't hit anything, and Arnold's bullets hit. And that was just bonkers to me because there's everyone's in point-blank range. If you do it once, okay. They did it like three times in this movie. And so these are the kind of things I'm seeing because it's such a normal, typical kind of movie. But you mentioned Westerns. The gun that Victor has that comes out of his arm is like most recently I saw in Django. Yeah, the trick wrist. Yeah. And that was great. I really thought that was going to come back at the climax of the movie later on. And they even try to set it up for us. They don't even use it in the climax. It was really one of those weird missed opportunities. But anyway. You mentioned, Arnie, that this movie was written as it goes. I'm going to go ahead and say it feels like that. I definitely lose the plot. All of a sudden, we're just in Chicago. And he's just negotiating with, quote unquote, clean heads, 
which I think is some kind of reference to Louis Farrakhan and the Muslim Brotherhood that he was running in Chicago around that time. What is going on? If you are an international drug dealer, you get arrested for a traffic violation, and that's enough for them to extradite you? I think we needed another action scene in here. I think we needed a really good reason for Victor to get arrested, and not just Arnold finds out, hey, he got arrested for running a red light, they looked him up, and you can go and get him in Chicago. I mean, it seems easy enough, but it also seems just really weird as to how this is happening. I had the same note, Arnie. It kind of feels also when they go to Jim Belushi, they start from zero. It kind of feels like the movie starts a second time with the setup in Chicago. It's the same exact thing. It's a drug bust going wrong, partner got killed. So two different movies are going on and then they can smoosh them together. So the whole plot doesn't really start until like 40, 45 minutes in. And if they had a cleaner script, they could have really cut that down a little bit instead of having it feel like two different movies starting back to back. Yeah, let me help this movie Belushi should have been one to catch this guy when he was in Chicago. There you go. The fact that when we cut to Chicago, he's busting nameless people who I think were the ones that were going to bring Ratza the supply of cocaine that he needed. I really don't even know. This whole thing with the keys and half of a hundred dollar bill and who's doing what, I shrug my shoulders at this. Okay, I couldn't follow it either. I tried to get it and I mean... At one point, Danko is told that Victor has a locker full of money, and then later it's a locker full of drugs. If he has both the drugs and the money, what does he need the clean heads for? I'm a little bit lost in that. Yeah, it's needlessly complicated. A drug deal should be really simple. I give you a suitcase, you give me a suitcase, that's it. There's no, like, telephone calls and meeting at hotels and locker keys. People coming in on buses, none of this. But more to the point, this is Jim Belushi not as the funny guy I expected. Because he has that brother doing cheeseburger, 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 I really thought that he would also be giving the Eddie Murphy big comedic performance. But he's kind of tamped down here. I actually feel like he's trying to work as a dramatic actor first with just some nasty barbs here and there. He's more Nick Nolte than he is Eddie Murphy. Don't you think Walter Hill is a little disappointed in that? Don't you think maybe Walter Hill brought him in and told him, hey, ad lib, and his best ad lib is you look like Gumby? I mean, which is an Eddie Murphy joke. And he's, he's a lot of jerking <laughs> off references and things like that. Like he kind of goes to the same three places each time he riffs. Mm -hmm. He gets the job done. I don't want to bash on Belushi here. Why not? Why do you have four Belushi that you <laughs> bash on the man? We don't need to bash on him, but I'm certainly not going to hear compliments. He is a detriment to this movie. I don't think he's helping the movie, but I think it could have been ten times worse with somebody else. I don't like him when he's quipping. When he's playing the cop more straight and in the moment, he's actually doing fine. It's when he tries to be funny is when I want him to shut up and you're not that funny. So, yes, he can play a Chicago cop convincingly, but he's not funny enough to be off the cuff funny as clearly a lot of these things were ad-libbed and they said, well, keep that one for some reason. Yeah, in a buddy cop, the most important thing you do, if the plot never makes a wit of sense, you want to enjoy the two principles when they get together. You want to see them get under each other's skin, and then you want to see them, like, secretly be jealous, and then they finally pair up. You want to watch that relationship grow and change and become a bromance. And in this case, I really don't feel like Arnold and Belushi ever have that. From the get-go of him arriving at the airport to the them leaving, swapping watches, I don't feel like this is a good buddy movie. My memory is that I loved this film when I watched it my one time back in the 80s. And the reason I loved it was their interplay. So coming back to this movie 30 years later, I'm like... It's not that great. It really mm -mm. isn't what I remember it being. I feel like we've covered the pinnacles of the buddy cop movies with Lethal Weapon and 48 Hours. There's so many, but I think those are the highest points, at least of the 80s buddy cop feature. I know someday we will get to Tango and Cash. I just know it's our destiny. The greatest movie of all time. How could we not? Of course. But here, I am thinking that it feels like we've got two straight men 
And they're not even trying to outdo each other because how can you outdo Arnold? I am surprised. The two men stand almost eye to eye. I had to look it up. Belushi's 5'11". Arnold is only 6'2". I thought Arnold was much bigger from seeing his outfits at Planet Hollywood. I think even that's an exaggeration. I mean, I know you shrink in later age, but I've actually stood next to him and he's, I won't use the word short, but not tall. No, Stallone is, I've seen Stallone in person. Stallone is definitely shorter than you would think, but Schwarzenegger... If he's 6'2", that's my height. He is not my height. And now, of course, when you're saying bigger, his costumes are much broader than my outfits. Let's be very clear. I want to say that if you are coming to this movie, Arnie, maybe at this age, I'm not sure if you had seen 48 Hours yet. I had. Okay. But I remember when this was on cable a lot, and my friends were talking about it at camp and at school and stuff. It kind of feels like if this is your first buddy cop movie then it's great. Like, when I saw Tango and Cash, I hadn't seen a lot of buddy cop movies. It's another great example of. But in hindsight, is it the best of the genre? I would say probably no. (laughs) I think we know the best ones of the genre. But if this is the first time you've seen this kind of pairing up, I can see that working for people in their teens. A discerning audience who loved 48 Hours is going to see right through this is another 48 Hours. I also think this movie worked a lot better in 1988. Sure. I think that when Russia really still was behind that Iron Curtain, you know, despite the fact that things were starting to thaw politically, 13-year-old me didn't know that. And so I was still viewing Russians as the other, as the enemy, as Drago in Rocky IV. That was my vision of Russians. And so here to see a friendly Drago was revolutionary to me. Yeah, it may have been the reason why the movie was hurt by the box office. That may have just been a bridge too far for the action movie audience. They typically would want to see the Reds dead. At least you want to, like, play with that. And I think Walter Hill tries to. Like, when they blow in here and meet, you are to think that Donko is withholding information, has his own agenda, doesn't trust the Americans... But I don't know. This is an Arnold retrospective. He's got much more star power than Belushi. Watching it from these modern eyes, he's obviously the focal character. And consequently, you just don't feel that tension about culture as much. I think his cop also being so smart and being ahead of the Chicago. Belushi's not a bad cop. I think we see that in instances here, the character, I mean. But I like how Schwarzenegger, they portray his character as one step ahead or knowing more about his adversary than he's letting on. And I always really enjoyed that throughout the movie. Like, he wants to stay at the hotel here when he comes to America at the same hotel Victor was at. Just didn't get a feel, a clue, an idea. He's already on it the minute he gets there. And that, for me, for Schwarzenegger at this time, also, I like that he played smart, he played clever, and it was a good idea for the character to be so smart and witty, not just a dumb drone who's saying stupid lines. Though Arnold had proven he could act better in Predator and The Running Man, here, I don't think Walter Hill is putting a lot of reliance on his acting ability. I think most of his character development comes through wardrobe. In these early scenes, he's still wearing his Russian cop gear and standing at full attention and keeping everybody else out of it. And later on, when he's going to start seeing Belushi as an equal because they both will have lost a partner. He's going to start wearing more Americanized clothing. He's going to start trusting a little bit more. But they're not really showing that through performance. Here, you mentioned Terminator, Brock. I do see a lot of one-note Terminator-ish in his performance. Which, again, is my compliment to this movie. I think that you have to build it around what he can do as opposed to asking him to act. You look at Commando, he's pathetic. So here, you just have to build into the whole concept that he's emotionless, that he's cold, that, yes, he's intelligent, but it's all going on behind these dead eyes. And the Russian angle and the costuming is the smart way of doing it. That's why, again, I would argue this is the most fitting thing that he's done since The Terminator. <laughs> His outfit is fitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the whole movie, again, the whole movie feels... T- you could make this movie with someone other than Jim Belushi. I'm not sure who you'd make it with if not Arnold. But Arnold does have one screw-up. I mean, he gets Victor in custody very quickly. We're like half an hour into this movie. Act one is ending. But Victor's going to 
escape his clutches. Yeah, so we were told, and I don't know where they came from, but he's partnered with two Georgians that were not at that club in the beginning, but somehow got him to Chicago and are in on his drug deal with the Muslim Brotherhood that, yeah, they are going to team up with a security, like, armored truck team of cleanheads and... Is this supposed to be the airport? I thought the armored car people, oh, this is a ruse. Like, there was a, that was a disguise to get in there. I don't think they're actually working for an armored truck company because it's the only time you ever see them. I'm aware of that. I'm just saying that I thought they were putting him on a plane. Everyone's like, we're putting Victor on a plane. And now they're like in downtown Chicago, not anywhere near O'Hare or even Midway. There's a train that'll get you there. <laughs> yeah. Mm, not a Amtrak train. It was very unclear. Right. Yeah. As someone that knows Chicago and loves movies that features places, locations, this is not a particularly good Chicago movie. All I know is I've never been in a police station that has a gift shop, and they definitely shoot up a gift shop. Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's some random place where, yes, fake security guards and Georgians make a, a getaway and kill the one guy we knew wasn't going to make it. It's been a trio of cops. It's been Belushi, Lawrence Fishburne as the hard ass, and then the nice old white guy who gets it here, Gallagher. Right. And peppered in there is the chief, Peter Boyle. Honestly, I thought they were also setting up either Larry Fishburne or Peter Boyle to be in on it. They certainly indicate that quite a few times in these early scenes, and that never came to fruition. But I thought they were seriously indicating, especially with Boyle's performance in his first couple of scenes here. Yeah, you wonder what the original script was. Maybe it's his glasses, but I thought Larry Fishburne was going to be in on it. He's very hard on the Belushi character. I'm really glad they didn't, though. I'm glad they didn't say all the black guys are bad. But he disappears in the movie. There should have been some reason for that. There should be some resolution, at the very least, about why he can't respect Belushi's cop. Yeah, so again, we're going right back to it's being written on the fly, it's underwritten, everything mm -hmm. like that. And Lawrence Fishburne at this time... Larry Fishburne at this time. Yeah, I feel that Larry Fishburne in this role is not given anything to do. It's, it's You don't really need Larry Fishburne for that particular role. He wasn't really Larry Fishburne until a couple years later with Boys in the Hood anyway. But I know what you mean. Because we know him now, because he's Morpheus, we want to see him do something in this movie... And he does not. This is a movie in which the Russian, Arnold, basically says, I'm not leaving till I get my guy. And yes, they both lost partners now. Belushi and Arnold have a reason to team up for Act 2 and go through a string of convolutions and characters to get to Victor. Can you follow this? Because I got to admit, while they're both told to get off the case, when they go and see that guy from 48 Hours, who's the bad guy in another 48 Hours... Brian James, also Blade Runner, yeah. That's right, that's right, Blade Runner. And then they go and see a blind convict. I'm a little bit lost what MacGuffin they're chasing. Again, when you say Abdul Elijah, I think of Farrakhan. And again, if you're really making a story about Chicago in 1988, Louis Farrakhan, thought to be the murderer of Malcolm X, or the engineer of his assassination really had a hold on Southside Chicago and was involved in very many numerous things of notoriety. I, I won't, I don't want to be sued for libel, but he was definitely accused of being, it wouldn't surprise me if he was involved in a drug trade. Let me just put it that way. Allegedly. Yes. <laughs> wouldn't it surprise me if that were the case, but they back away from any kind of real world realism here. Every time I think we're getting to something about Chicago, yeah, he just ends up being Ray Charles in the prison from 48 hours. I'm blind for some reason and I want to get every white guy. You know, Arnie, I understand what you're saying about are you following this, what's going on. All the details, I plan to sell drugs to every white man on earth. Everything they're saying here and all that stuff, all I'm getting from all of these scenes is, where's Victor? That's all that matters. Where's Victor? So it's all it is. And the tenuous connection of if you allow socialists or, or anybody that, you know, subscribes to non-capitalism, they are a threat in your 80s movie. This whole brotherhood is Marxist. So thus, they would partner with a Russian slash Georgian drug dealer. Now, I don't know the real life, but a lot of this is about they don't want drugs going into Russia. And they talk about how later in the movie, I think it says about like they put all the people in a square and shoot them who deal drugs or take drugs. So there's no drugs in their country. They cut off their balls. And if you don't need your balls, they take your eyes. Right. Stuff like that is all over this. And I don't know how much of the Russian drug trade is true or not. Again, I don't think it matters for what they're trying to tell us in this movie. 
It felt phony. I would just say, again, if this were set in Miami and this was a someone from South America working together, that I would believe. It feels like an episode of Miami Vice that got rewritten by Yakov Smirnov. Like, it, the, <laughs> culturally, it doesn't feel honest. But again, I'm not really weighing heavily at this point. Sadly, I'd like to, because I think Walter Hill can make fun kinds of darker action movies. But this is more cartoon than it is serious drama. So right around here, we're also introduced to a character that comes and goes in this movie. The American wife of Victor, Gina Gershon, who is a dance instructor, who I guess was paid to marry Victor, I'm guessing. So she has a front and her name is Kat. You barely hear that. And he's an American citizen now. So you'd think that extradition would be a little harder. Right. So Victor escaped to America. How long was he in America to get married to this woman before Arnold got here chasing him. I got the impression it was like a matter of weeks. I think he's been doing this for years. I didn't get the assumption that he came to Chicago blindly, throw a dart on the map. Chicago is his connection for cocaine. Yeah, but I didn't think he was flying back and forth to Chicago. I got the impression he was based in Russia there in Chicago, and now he had nowhere else to go but there. I think he does fly back and forth. That is the way I take it, is that he would have been here anyway, but now he's boiling mad because in the opening, his brother was shot, so it's personal, and he has a reason to want Danko dead. But Gina Gershon in a very early role, and doing fine in it, not embarrassing herself, I honestly saw her in the opening credits and I prepared the joke. She now has something to be more embarrassed about than Showgirls. Nope, Showgirls is still her most embarrassing performance. No, I think she's not the problem with Showgirls. She's not the one. Yeah, she's great in Showgirls. She's the only one good in Showgirls. Yeah, she's fine in Showgirls. I completely agree with that statement. She's not the reason Showgirls is bad at all. No, she's the reason Showgirls is good. Is watchable, yeah. She is usually a very enjoyable presence in movies. And you're right, this is pretty good, but she's basically an aerobics instructor who leads them to a parking lot. I thought it was aerobics too, but I guess it's a dance instructor. It's a really unsatisfying role, and then they just kill her and throw her away. And I couldn't believe that. I thought even in an 80s movie, you keep the chick around to give somebody, uh, you know, a night in bed. But here's the thing, is that it kind of feels like an afterthought when they do kill her. They kill her on the TV. We find out about her on the TV in the background as Victor is loading up for the end. It seems like there was a scene that was cut, it didn't work well, and then they decided to cover it by using the, the evening news. But according to what we're talking about here with the script on the fly, maybe they figured out, oh crap, we never really figured out how to resolve her character. We'll do it this way. It, whatever reason, if they were going to kill her, they could have made it a dramatic beat and they just, as you said, throw it away. It's really strange. Yeah, the whole thing is very unmotivated and bizarre. But the point is that it allows for Arnold to come together with Victor in the middle of the movie, unarmed, because this Elijah Brotherhood has arranged it so that they cannot shoot each other. And they try to negotiate this whole key and half dollar bill thing that I, again, will never understand. I mean, it's a MacGuffin. They all want the key. Danko has the key and doesn't know what it goes to. Victor knows what it goes to, but needs the key. And it leads to the death of an informant that, again, I don't entirely follow. Oh, wow. how could you? Let's just track this one. So the guy that came to bust Victor out, that was working with the clean heads when they came into that lobby, wherever that was, Tatanovich, he didn't die. Even though it looked like he really died in that scene, He's in a coma, and now the other Georgian is coming in nurse drag, because, of course, he couldn't just come as a male nurse. And it's much more funny to see a transvestite with putting a bubble in somebody's vein to whack this guy, and you have this whole hospital chase. This is just bad. Yeah. And you get Gina Gershon in the middle trying to protect this other Georgian, getting in the way of gunfire, screaming, don't kill him, don't kill him. I mean, was she having dinner parties with this guy and Victor? I <laughs> mean... <laughs> right why was she so concerned about it because also five minutes later she's like i need to get out of this you got to help me get out of this seems to me that if this guy gets killed there's one more step closer to her getting out of this i almost cared enough to go and find the novelization because some poor schmuck back in the 80s you know they did this for all movies it's a promotional thing they're like if we got a new movie coming out we need to have a book because people bought books back then 
And there is a movie tie-in. Somebody had to make sense of this enough for it to read on a page. And I would love to have known how they interpreted all of this. I agree. I, if I'd known that earlier, I didn't know that till this moment, I'd be reading that book so I could explain it the same way I did. If you remember, Another 48 Hours had a lot of these problems, too. And I did read the novelization, and it was explained in there, but poorly. Yeah. But Walter Hill is maybe not the best with scripts. I do think he's good with hard-edged visuals. What I appreciate about him is that his action stuff, even in the 80s, it looks more raw and 70s, a little bit more seedy than the other stuff we would have get. You know, if, if you look at something like Commando, that's a very flashy, cartoony movie. This violence, it just feels a little bit more subdued, a little bit, dare I use the word, mature? I'll agree. The action in this film is perfectly acceptable. I hesitate to use a word like flawless or anything, but it's exciting enough. Hard-edged. What Raw Deal tried to do and failed. Yes, it, it's hard-edged. Yes, it's well shot. I disagree with some of the setups and the scenes and the placement of where these action scenes take place. The hotel hallway, the climax, which we'll get to here in the hospital. It seems that they inserted an action scene in weird places instead of great visual places. So he had some good ideas for gags, if you will, in each of these scenes. And they're well shot, don't get me wrong, but... It didn't seem cinematic enough in most of the time when there are a lot of hallways and a lot of big open spaces versus uh, an interesting locale. Am I wrong? This could have happened anywhere, right? The fact that this is Chicago, you know, early on the Russians are giggling about Al Capone and Tommy guns and all of that. And I think, oh, we're really going to get a flavor of this city. But this could be the same L.A. as 48 Hours. It could be New York. It could have gone to Miami. It could have been anywhere. This is a very impersonal action playground. You might have gotten a better foil than Belushi if you hadn't gone to Chicago. Like Brock said, Belushi is tied to that city. If you'd gone to New York, maybe we would have gotten a New York comedian. My only thinking is if you notice Belushi's character's name is Polish, and they do have more Polish people than Krakow is what I've heard, that Chicago (laughs) does have an Eastern European connection that, again, a better, smarter script that understood the city and could really make some of these connections... I don't want to use the word realistic. That's not what I'm trying to argue for here, but authentic. How about that word? Yeah. I'd like for this to feel a little bit more authentic in its setup, and it just doesn't. But the surprise to me, watching it this time, Arnie, I'm really curious about your reaction, is how little comedy matters. We do get a smattering. They go to a diner, and there's some talk about Danko having a pet parakeet that he... You know, his watch reminds him to feed or something. Is that feminine? Do you think that's where Mickey Rourke got it for Iron Man 2 is from here? (laughs) I mean, I guess that's just, it's irony to take a really tough guy and give him a really fragile pet. And here, Belushi is going to know that Arnold drinks tea because he saw Dr. Zhivago. Which I smiled at. I smiled at that line. And Peter Boyle had a funny line. I have no downside here. From a commanding standpoint, I have no downside. There are lines here and there that I smile or crack a smile at. I didn't laugh out loud at any of these lines. But I agree, there are some moments that Jim Belushi, especially like that Dr. Zhivago line, that it works. You could see that if it was written and they weren't relied upon to make up so much of this, it actually could possibly work. But remember, Eddie Murphy was tamped down in 48 hours also. It's not like he was walking around talking about butt pie and butt cake like in Golden Child. That's true. I always forget that. You're right. But you're right. When you, you, you forget that because it's Eddie Murphy. But when you go back to that movie, he isn't Eddie Murphy yet. Mm-hmm. And so to keep the humor a little bit more... Again, I hate to use the word realistic, but not over the top. I just remember it being funnier. I remember Belushi stealing the show and playing all these one-liners off Arnold. And again, the only thing you get is a few Gumby references and a should I go home and whack off because you're doing all the work. And in this movie, yeah, Belushi, maybe you might want to go home and whack off because Arnold's carrying the film on those broad shoulders. And he's always so awful to women. Like he's harassing airline stewardesses. Here, this waitress wants 
wants to refill his coffee and he's rude to her. Like it just, I don't know what the thinking was about where he, he would be charming. I think it got edited out if it was ever there. But even Jim Belushi's not being funny. They don't really have a lot of Arnold one-liners here either. Like Arnold at this time had already done Commando and he has the James Bond, you know, finishing the scene with a quick little quip. They don't even use that very much for Arnold here at all. They have a couple of lines. He says it's more efficient in Russia or something. I can't remember exactly the line, but it's not like a button with an Arnold line at the end of any of the action scenes. Walter Hill specifically said they wanted to get away from the Arnold one-liners and try to make him a bit more of a serious character and not a quipster. I think they're playing him more like Eastwood, who isn't always cracking wise, at least in those early Dirty Harry movies. This is Arnold's movie, and he's Dirty Harry, even though he doesn't know who Clint Eastwood is, because he hasn't made it across the Iron Curtain yet. He's got the forty-four Magnum, and now he's, yeah, ready for basically the climax of the film, the two-parter where first Victor comes for the key at his hotel. And we're back in 48 hours, right? The hooker in the hotel and screaming and running around naked. That was a scene in 48 hours. I like the hotel clerk in the first scene and he comes back here also happy. And then when he comes back at the end of the movie, I'm happy he didn't die. The guy, we know him from other movies. He's worked a lot. Bruce Taylor Pruitt, I believe. Yeah. And he has those eyes, those shifty eyes that constantly keep moving like something else is going on. And bravo to a day player doing just a little bit to make your character that much more interesting. He did everything he need, could do with that role. He's the one that gets to make the joke when Arnold announces his name, Danko. He's like, you're welcome. I mean, like, you know, he gets to do that bit. It's the stuff that's going to make the trailer. You're going to put this guy in there because he knows how to play that moment. Exactly. And Victor here outsmarts everybody by giving the wrong room number. But why kill them here, though? It doesn't make any sense. I don't. Why kill them now? He doesn't have the drugs. He, just, he doesn't even have the key yet when he sets them up. I know he knows where it is, but it seems that it's... Why kill the people who are helping you at this point in time? None of this makes sense because he wants those people to pay him the drugs, I thought. So why they can't get him the drugs and all this about a key and half a hundred dollar bill... I don't quite understand, unless they're middlemen for somebody else. And why kill your wife? We have a moment of, I guess, regret, because Arnold let Gina Gershon escape that whole hospital thing and say she got away when he let her go, let her try to get out of whatever situation she's in, and we're going to find out, as Brock said, through television, she's dead. Yeah, she didn't matter. What does matter in this movie? We're finding out as we get towards the end, it's supposed to be about Ivan getting Victor. Like, he can't let anybody else have that, then so he's going to kill. Right, and we find out that his orders were that he's supposed to kill Victor here, not bring him back. Right, and another curious roundabout way of getting to the climax we find out that belushi's brother-in-law is a locksmith and there are books in locksmith's cabinets that will help you figure out that keys are to bus terminals you know writing scripts before the internet was hard you had to come up with these convoluted solutions because you couldn't just google the key yep when i saw this i was thinking of the next generation star trek next generation where they needed something explained and they used gobbledygook like wesley crusher would come out or geordie laforge would say something that okay great we'll go with that and that's how they did this with the key and also how would he forget that the brother-in-law he has mentioned two or three times in this movie already because of alimony or whatever for his sister is a locksmith and the whole thing's about a key like, how would he not remember that until right now with an answering machine? That is just shoddy. He would have been more efficient. Why can't the cops not use a brother-in-law to figure out where a key is from? Chicago police should be able to trace this. It was in evidence, and they had it the whole time. So, all of this. I, just to underline the point, this Shaggy Dog storyline is pretty incomprehensible. Listen, the story's messy. Who has the key is messy. I don't think the police examined the key, and this is a way to give Belushi something useful to do. He's street smart. He has the connections. That's the only thing Belushi is bringing to this investigation, because Arnold is the Terminator. And he's being nice to women, finally, because his sister is getting a no alimony checks. So, the climax is... At a bus station, and explain this to me. I know we're going all a lot about things that don't make sense, but this one really got me. The exchange finally happens. The $100 bills match up. The drugs are in suitcases that are loaded on the bottom of a bus that I could have swore drives off. 
And then the climax of the movie has these guys in buses, like in jousting and all this sort of stuff going on. Didn't the drugs get away? Or was the drugs in the bus that Victor hijacks later that gets wrecked? Victor was going to take the drugs with him. I don't think he was planning to hijack the bus until he was cornered. But why he killed the clean head that was dealing him the drugs in the bathroom with the trick wrist revolver that should have been saved for the climax in Arnold, that remains a mystery. How about this bus fight? It kind of felt, like I mentioned jousting, it felt like, why chase people in buses? That's such a weird thing. I love this. I love that I've never seen a bus chase before. I love that they actually make buses feel like they go fast, whereas if you've ever ridden a bus, they are just so damn slow to back up, so damn slow to accelerate. And here, it's like super buses. I'm actually having a lot of fun as I watch the cars crash into the buses and things. It's not great, it's not original, but it's entertaining. The parking meters getting smashed was kind of neat, and the editing really helped. They really edited this scene extremely well, with Belushi just cursing a lot, like in the doing 80s movies, oh shit, and crashing into something. Very 80s kind of stuff. But it was all crashing all the time, it's kind of like a Hal Needham movie. It's, it's funny because they're crashing into things. But they also, I did make a note, Victor backs that bus up and turns it around like a boss. That's not easy. That turned that thing around quick. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That was very impressive. But yes, I think editing really helped with this to make it as exciting because this must have been slow motion filming it. And we don't see another action bus scene until they put it to bed in speed a few years later, right? But I think this is the only scene we'll ever need to see of a bus chase in any action movie. And a bus game of chicken where they neither one is chicken. They're just going to ram into each other. Then we get the Spaghetti Western showdown, where this is uh, steam and everything, like, which guy is going to draw first? It's a little anticlimactic, but it is what we expect, and Arnold can now go home. And Victor shoots first, and Arnold's, apparently, those bullets disappear again, Arnold shoots him, and he kills him. Which is remarkable, that it happens so many times in this movie, <laughs> that bullets just kind of like Neo, just the bullets just disappear, and he's able to stop them like a force field. He's a Terminator. Bullets don't hurt him. Only car crashes do. So the last scene takes place, it looks like a New York airport, because it says the flight's from New York to Moscow. Jim Belushi escorts him to New York to take him off of the airport, but they're watching a Chicago White Sox baseball game. I don't understand where they are in this final goodbye scene. Nor do I understand why Jim Belushi has such a great watch that he feels suckered for giving away. But again, this is what passes for cute humor and the idea that they're friends. The point is, the inconceivable has happened in an American film a Soviet and a capitalist have figured out a way to respect one another. And without Sylvester Stallone giving a big speech in the ring. That's right. <laughs> but he likes to give speeches about the point of his movies. But let's see if it's conceivable if we recommend this. Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend Red Heat? Stuart. I tried. I mean, I honestly did. I put away all of my grousing about this being formula and this being 80s full of outdated politics and this being Belushi and Schwarzenegger, two actors I don't really like, and just say, can I just enjoy this as a retro, nostalgic throwback to a time that I remember from my youth and the way that people used to think? And again, my compliment is that I think Arnold is effectively utilized what he can bring to the part is what's accentuated, and what he can't do is minimized. He needs someone to play off that's funnier. That ultimately becomes the problem of this buddy formula, is that he needs something better than Belushi in order for this to really sing and work in the ways that we expect it to. So you just kind of have this sort of limp, shaggy dog story that doesn't really show off Chicago very well, that doesn't really do anything that 48 Hours hadn't already done. And retroactively, I do want to give a recommend because I was a little hard on Walter Hill's Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte movie. And I do, watching this movie, I can see now how much better 48 Hours the original is. So even though I gave that one a mild not recommend back when we covered it, I think watching this, I can say, oh, they did it good enough. This one, they didn't do it good enough. And so Red Heat gets a red arrow. Arnie. I came back to this movie excited with good memories from the 80s and then seeing, oh my God, it's from the director of 48 Hours. And I remembered Belushi being good, even though I don't usually like Belushi. 
Jim Belushi, that is. And Arnold, at the early peak of his action movie career, before he'd start doing really big movies like Terminator 2 and True Lies. And so I was really excited to get into this. And the first act and the stuff in Russia does not disappoint. The second act, when they're chasing down MacGuffins and interrogating a string of unneeded people who never come back, does disappoint. And I was like, ouch. And then the ending was fine. And so I really had to, like, ask, after loving this movie in my memory for so long, can I even recommend it? <laughs> it was right there on the line. And... Had Belushi been replaced, he is truly the weak link here, although Walter Hill's script writing, I mean, it took three people to write this script, and it shows that they didn't talk to each other while writing it. The script is a problem, but I think if you'd had somebody more charismatic and funnier than Belushi, and I'm not saying I want a comedian, I do not want Yakov Smirnoff in this. What about Eddie Murphy? What if it had been Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy in 88 or Eddie Murphy in 82? I mean... Eddie Murphy, same summer he had coming to America. Yeah, it's a different role, though. Yeah, I don't think he would have played second banana to Arnold is the other thing. But it could have been better. But as it is, it's just good enough if you like Arnold action. Arnold is good in this. I can eke that needle into the weakest of recommend territory, but just barely. If it wasn't for the Russia stuff and Arnold's stoic performance that does work, it would be a not recommend. There's just enough here to get it over that line. It's better than another 48 hours. Mm. Look, I saw this movie for the first time about 10 years ago when I was going back and trying to target Arnold Schwarzenegger movies that I've missed. And it's remarkable how you can see Arnold, if he's cast correctly, they utilize what you would normally think are his flaws and use them very well. And here they do exactly that, as we've talked about. He does come across like the Terminator here, for sure. There are plenty of scenes here where I think Terminator... Actually, there's a couple of drum beats in the music, especially in the end, in the hotel scene with the hooker scene. There's like a boom, boom, boom. That reminded me of the Terminator drums. But the first time I saw this movie, about 10 years ago, I had a copy and there were no subtitles in it. So the first 40 minutes, there was no subtitles underneath the Russian. And I understood what was going on just fine. And afterwards, I went back and found a copy with the subtitles. And I was right. I was able to follow the plot completely fine with no English subtitles whatsoever based on the action beats of the movie. Because this is the movie we have here. This is a very standard cookie cutter, buddy cop movie. It's kind of like when we watch sports movies, you know, the ne'er-do-well sports movies or romance movies. We've talked about this before. It's not about how it's going to end. It's about what they do with the setup between the beginning, the middle, and the end that makes it a good version of that kind of movie. And unfortunately, even though you can watch this with the dialogue turned off completely, on mute, and understand what's going on, is it a good enough action movie uh, to give a pass? What your brain connects with that second act going person to person might be better than what the movie gives. Yeah, I mean, you can honestly watch this movie on mute, and I practically did in that first time I watched it, with the first 40 minutes, not with any, without any English, understanding what's going on. But, you know, a few years later, they would do the Rush Hour movies and have a mismatched pairing and kill it and have much more energy to it with the right team up in there. It's basically the same movie, right? More or less. Lighter tone and, and a lot more fun to watch, though, right? This is not much fun to watch. And I agree. I wish this was funnier. I wish this was better. But it's serviceable. It's completely watchable. You just want it to be better than it is. The whole time, you just want it to be better because this could be good if this or that or this was better. So I'm going to give it a red hour as well. It just misses being passable for me for a recommend, but it certainly is. You can turn this on and watch it again tomorrow if you wanted to. I don't know why you would want to, but it certainly is one of those kinds of movies. One more thought on that, because when you were talking about not having subtitles, it made me make one more connection to 48 Hours. 48 Hours has a racial subtext. Nick Nolte is a bigot that has to come to respect Eddie Murphy. I don't know that this Russia stuff, maybe in 88 we felt differently. As Arnie said, it was a heightened political time. But looking at it now, I don't feel like there's enough tension between the Soviets and the American to really work in that same way. Even if they had fixed this in the casting and the writing, I think that would have been problematic. Yeah, very much a film of its time that, again, I think my unsophisticated view of Russia as a 13-year-old 
helped this film at that time. Of course, I was also unsophisticated in action films, which probably helped that, and led to me calling Tango and Cash the best of all time. Mm, yes, which would follow, <laughs> which feels like the copycat movie that came later and did not do particularly well here in America. But I do think this did well abroad, and I do think that Arnold's reputation certainly, after this film, took off like a rocket. We're not covering all of them, or we already have, but he had twins... He had Total Recall, he had Kindergarten Cop, he had Terminator 2. He was one of the biggest stars of all time when we pick up with him next week for The Last Action Hero. There were a lot of high hopes pinned on The Last Action Hero. They pushed that thing like crazy back then. They had action figures, they had the Burger King kids meal tie-in. That was going to be the movie of that summer. Of course, some dinosaurs had something to say about that, but we will certainly be talking about The Last Action Hero next week, a movie I have not seen since I saw it in theaters in 1993. Ooh, that's exciting. Yes, for me, I'm greatly, because I know over the years, people have come back to that movie and are big fans of it, I guess like Waterworld and other things that were deemed disappointing to some, mm -hmm. that people have come back to Last Action Hero and are really big fans of it. I'm looking forward to revisiting it now, what, 30 years later than it came out? And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how it plays today. Movies don't work the way they used to back then when this movie was all about Hollywood movies. Well, this Friday we're reviewing a movie that I haven't seen since it was brand new on video around that time in the 90s. Adam's Family Values. It didn't get me to theaters, but it did get me a quick rental. Yes, it's considered by some the superior sequel to the first Raul Julia Angelica Houston movie. We'll be discussing that this Friday. You can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And we have a giveaway going on starting this week, thanks to listener Kyle Smith. Ooh, what do we got? We're giving away an autographed copy of our book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Kyle bought a second copy just for us to give away on the show. Oh, how nice. That's great, Kyle. Thank you. Seems to me I, I've seen that book about 907 times <laughs> in recent memory. Yeah, that <laughs> autographing was a marathon, but I'm glad it's done, and yeah, I can't wait for people to get their hands on a physical copy. Is that carpal tunnel hands like yours, Stuart, or regular hands? Probably better hands than mine at this <laughs> yes. point. Yes. <laughs> well, we are sold out of the autographed copies. If you still want to get the book, we have plenty of copies available at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. But if you want to try to get this autographed copy signed by Jacob, Stewart, Marjorie, and me, then you can join the InFocus newsletter or join the Facebook group and find out how to get entries for doing both of those things. We have a slightly new way of signing up, but you do have to be subscribed to the InFocus newsletter to get an entry, and you have to be in the Facebook group to get an entry. You can get multiple entries if you do both things, and the details on the contest are going to be in the newsletter and in the Facebook group. And you can sign up for our newsletter at nowplayingpodcast.com in the right-hand column, and if you go to our Facebook page, there's a link there to our group. So thank you to Kyle. This contest will be going on until September 23rd, so you have until then to enter, and good luck. Looking forward to that, and we'll be back. So long, Captain. Nice doing business with you. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You said your performance was adequate. Adequate. Jesus Christ, what a jerk. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. You're shitting me. I'm not shitting on you. Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Is there anything else we should know about? Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. I need cooperation. You can donate directly at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Fair price for services running? Capitalism works, right, Streak? And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good thinking.
Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You have a headache and good taste. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Okay, you're the boss. Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. How do you deal with all the tension and stress? Vodka. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. He lies. In this country, he has a God-given right. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Thanks for your advice, comrade, but uh, I think I gotta go. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. These men have no respect of our authority as police officers. Oh shit. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, nice talking to you, Captain. Yeah, it's needlessly complicated. A drug deal should be really simple. I give you a suitcase, you give me a suitcase, that's it. There's no, like, telephone calls and meeting at hotels and people coming in on buses. None of this. Now playing does not contone drug trafficking. <laughs> but if you do it, be smarter. <laughs> <laughs>